Hello everyone, this is Anshri Vimala and welcome to the next episode of this series. Today we have an entrepreneur, co-founder and CEO at Flexible. Let's talk to him to know more about his startup journey from idea to achieving $3 million in revenue by completely bootstrapping and without any investment in paid marketing. Let's welcome Mr. Karthik Sridharan. Hi Karthik. Thanks hey, for being here. Thanks. thanks for having me, Anjali. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karthik. So, uh, Karthik, can you please quickly introduce yourself about who you are to this world and how did you start your business journey? Sure. Uh, I think the most relevant thing about me right now for the startup world is that uh, I'm the co-founder of Flexible. So, Flexible is an exclusive network of freelance software de developers and designers. We basically have a very comprehensive vetting process and then we connect the top quality talent with tech startups and companies across the world. That's flexible in a nutshell. Uh, mm. I started this journey somewhere in 2017 with a couple of my batchmates from IIM Ahmedabad. And uh, so as, as is obvious from that, I studied in IIM Ahmedabad and before that, uh, I worked for three years in JP Morgan Investment Banking. And uh, as my undergraduate degree, uh, I, I did my engineering from Bitspilani. So that's been my journey uh, over the last more or less 10 years or so. Okay. So what made you start Flexible? What gap did you identify in the market? Sure, actually, uh, unlike most other entrepreneurs, I, I it wasn't that, you know, uh, I suddenly came across a problem and I wanted to solve it. Uh, I actually want, uh, the, the flexible idea came from the want to build something uh, uh, that was my own. Uh, I had been a part of JP Morgan Investment Banking and I realized that that world wasn't for me at the end of three years. You know, it was a lot of money, but not something that I was really passionate doing. Then I came to IIM Ahmedabad to pursue my MBA and I saw that it was a lot lot of the same, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the same rat race, a lot of competition, people pursuing things without uh, asking themselves whether this is what they want to do in life, whether they would be good at it and so on. So I decided it was a good time for me to take a break from all of this and try to build something of my own. So I used to just carry an idea book and note down all the different ideas that came to my head. And then I used to discuss, uh, you know, just call four or five of my friends to my room and discuss a lot of uh, the ideas that I had written down and try to understand, you know, try to tell them to critique it, right? And uh, Flexible was one of the ideas which uh, I really liked uh, in, during our discussions. It was in the B2B space. I felt that especially for the top quality talent, uh, there wasn't any uh, offering out there which could help companies, right? So most of the marketplaces for talent were pure marketplaces, right? They just took the Uber or Airbnb model and they just copy pasted it into the white collar business. So I felt that that model didn't work in the white collar business because uh, companies uh, would pay if uh, you could promise quality. The downside of uh, not getting the right person in your team can be really huge, not only in terms of money, but also in terms of time loss. And even top quality talent you know, typically in marketplaces, you have to spend about 15, 20 days just scouting through hundreds of projects to find the right one. And we felt that if we can actually be a, a concert service to get them the right projects that would cater to their expertise rather than them wasting time in just marketing themselves, it would be solving an actual gap in the market. 
So getting all of this together, we, we decided that we would want to focus on the tech market because hiring tech talent is really, really very tough. And we also felt that the tech market was huge and also growing at a really big and a high rate. So combining all of these factors, I felt flexible really made sense. And uh, we started to go down the journey sometime in mid 2015, but officially after we graduated in 2017, we really took off. Okay. What made you take uh, that time, like 2015 to 27? Is there any startup uh, licensing and all you were doing that time? No, uh, it is just that in 2015, we, uh, we started our graduation in MBA. So the MBA is a two-year uh, course, so two-year degree. So we after our two-year degree, we started full-time. Uh, till then, we were doing it part-time. So we built our first product, second product, it all failed. We did a lot of many mistakes, but uh, I think our initial ideation and the first two products were done during our time in uh, IIM Ahmedabad itself. But once we graduated and we had already exhausted a majority of our savings, you know, we tried a few other things to actually get it off the ground. So it wasn't that we weren't doing anything between 2015 to 17, but we were doing it part-time along with our education. Okay. Then where, where did you get this initial investment? Because you said that you have exhausted the investments. So mm -hmm. how did you get the investments after your college degree? So... Uh, we, we were almost out of our savings, so we didn't take any investment from anywhere. We actually just decided that uh, building products for the sake of it wasn't the way to go about it. Uh, it was just the wrong mindset, right? It was a very popular mindset that people go with. They try to build a product for the million or a billion dollar business that they want to build when they have not even earned a single dollar. And that's exactly what we did. We had zero dollars of revenue that we built. And we were still trying to build a product that could serve millions of dollars worth of revenue. So instead, what we just did after that is to open up a Google sheet. We made two tabs, one called companies, another called freelancers. And we just started reaching out to people on LinkedIn. So whether it was freelancers whom we just searched on LinkedIn and tried to understand if they would want to be a part of our network after talking to them, a lot of people rejected us. But... Some people agreed to talk to us. We selected a few of them who we thought would be a good part of our talent network. And then we just started reaching out to companies, you know, trying to get a list of all funded startups, trying to find some network in that particular startup and just trying to reach out to them and understand if they would give us a chance to connect them with quality talent in the market. So instead of trying to spend more money in building a product or hiring people and all of that kind of stuff, we just decided that the three of us ourselves that is me and my two co-founders, could ourselves just open up a Google Sheet and do a lot of manual work, just use Google Sheets, emails, and, you know, manual tools like, you know, make an invoice on a Microsoft Word, convert it into a PDF, send it over email. So a lot of very manual processes. So just using Google Sheets itself, we hit our first $100,000 in revenue. So but after that, we were actually able to move on, self-fund ourselves for the rest four years of our existence. Okay, so LinkedIn is the only medium that you have reaching out to freelancers and companies? So at least in the initial stage, it was the most fruitful channel of usage. So we did use other channels as well. So there were a few job platforms where we used to post jobs. We used to also try to leverage our personal network and try to find people through that in that fashion. We used to write on social media in, in some not very efficient way, but some some manner to get attract people. But yes, 
in effect, I think in the, for the first one, one and a half years, LinkedIn was the most fruitful channel to attract talent. But in the last two, two and a half years, uh, we've started really doing well in being able to attract talent inbound. So we write a lot of articles relevant to freelancers, <clears throat> especially developers and designers. So we focus a lot on search engine optimization. We just about, let's say two years ago, our traffic to our website was around 4,000 and uh, on a monthly level. And now the traffic has grown, grown to about 300,000 uh, on a monthly level. Uh, so that brings us a lot of traffic. Uh, thereafter, we started doing a lot of launches on product hunt which would be relevant to developers. And we started building products, side projects, which we felt developers and designers would enjoy. We launched it not just on social media and product, but also on Reddit, various different ways. So I think a lot of these inbound channels were some things that we started actually utilizing, understanding and leveraging instead of just going outbound on LinkedIn. So currently over the last six to eight months, we have stopped outreach on LinkedIn entirely. And now all our uh, you know leads, whether it is on the freelancer side or company side, comes entirely inbound. Okay, so what SEO tools you were using at that time? Is that like paid one or it's like free versions? So we started by using free versions, uh, and it was Uber suggest that we use it, used at that point of time. But uh, I wouldn't suggest that people uh, use free tools, at least for SEO. I think Ahrefs is really very good. It's top of the market. And I think the difference between all the mistakes that we made in the initial part of our journey in, in building SEO for our website versus when we actually started getting some bit of success was pre and post using Ahrefs. So when we actually started using HS, of course, there is a certain amount of our own knowledge also, which was improving while uh, in, in, in the initial phase. So uh, I think AHS is one very important tool that I liked, and I think there is merit to it. And other than that, we use Yoast. Yoast is a tool where you can understand whether your on-page optimization is happening well mm -hmm. or not. So I think these two tools in entirety is what we use. And after that, we used to just distribute our articles in various different communities that we found relevant for those articles. Okay, so user, no, uh, SEO tools were the best one. So what common beginner mistakes you have seen in content marketing? I think uh, firstly, the, the very obvious one is that people don't focus on content marketing. Uh, they have a lot more focus on paid marketing because paid marketing actually gives instant results because you pay and you're immediately, let's say if it's Google ads, you're immediately at the top of results. Uh, Facebook, you're in, possibly in front of the right target audience or that's what you think. So uh, I think uh, that and that too, now given that there is so much of funding in the market uh, and people want instant success and instant results, paid marketing is the route that people go down. So I think the very first mistake is not to consider or take a deep look into seeing how you can leverage content marketing. I think that's the first thing. And to be honest, even we made that mistake at the very beginning. Uh, but I think SEO from a perspective, I think one of the most, what people consider boring, but one of the most reliable forms of, uh, reliable channels of marketing. And uh, it took us some time to understand that particular channel. And I, I think it will take some time for everyone to understand that channel. But I think if there is something that performs loyally over years, I think it's SEO, right? Uh, if you write a piece of 
content, whether it's an article uh, which is 500 words long or even 2000 words long, whatever it might be. I think if you want that particular piece of content to have the longest life, then if you aren't investing in SEO for that particular article, you're, you're doing it wrong. Because if you weren't investing in uh, SEO, what would you do? You would possibly send it in a newsletter, you would share it on social media and those standard kinds of things. But the life on all of these platforms is not more than a few days. It's only SEO that gives life to these articles for months or maybe even years. So I think these are that's the outlook that people should have. And uh, there is a certain amount of patience that you need to develop in this for sure. But I think if you're able to bring the mindset of, uh, you know, once you're able to get out of the initial survival stage where you're not thinking uh, for survival of the next couple of months only and you're able to see survival for, let's say, the next six to 12 months is the right time that you can start investing into content. And uh, SEO is one of the best channels. And as much as one can, they should try to build a certain story of their particular startup or their brand on social media as well, especially bootstrap startups, I feel, because uh, they don't get easy PR, right? So uh, apart from SEO, I think branding yourself on social media is really very important. So telling your story and branding is not just talking and selling your product such that people just get bored. It's about telling your story, you know, letting people understand what your personality is and what the personality of your startup is, what all mistakes you've made, what successes you're achieving, small or big as they might be, and just helping them in their own journey. So I think when you do those things, people really relate to you and get behind you. And uh, these are two broad things, which is SEO and personal branding, which I think has worked really well for us. And I'll really possibly push people to go into these two channels as much as possible. Okay. So, so you will be posting all these blogs on your website itself, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. do you also use like cold mails or sending newsletters to the people or collecting email IDs, all these things you used to do? So for flexible, we didn't, but we, we have, a, we had a side offering called remote tools. So remote tools basically was a list of uh, remote working products that we had just organized in a curated fashion to help the remote working world. Right. Uh, we started this around three and a half, four years back when it was all pre-COVID. We, we felt remote working was going to be the new big, new big thing. And uh, we were just accumulating and curating tools which should be really useful for people in a remote okay. working context. What tools those are like uh, placed on remote tools? So they're all tools which people across the world have built for a remote working context. It could be video conferencing products like Zoom, Hangouts. Uh, or now as it's called Meet, Skype and so on, or it could be chat communication tools, it could be code collaboration tools or design collaboration, uh, document collaboration, whatever is used in a remote working context. So coming back to the newsletter question that you asked, we, we started a newsletter for this. Uh, we grew it to about 5,000, 6,000 subscribers. We were doing well. And uh, yeah, so over there, we used to write a lot of articles. And other than optimizing it for SEO and also sharing it on social media. We also used to send it out in an email list to these newsletter subscribers as well. So I do think building an email list is quite good and possibly one of the toughest things to do, but also in terms of conversions might be one of the uh, best converting channels that is out there. Okay. So you used to first identify the freelancers and then you will be identifying mm -hmm. companies. 
so how do you make money out of it because like um do you make money from these freelancers or it's like you you take commission from these freelancers or you get paid from the companies or you earn commission based on the projects that the freelancers get by the companies right so our typical model is not as we like to call it it's not a project so what companies do is basically they're hiring one other individual into their team for, for on a flexible basis so they will join their team and there is no project it's all time based pay so they either hire them over weeks or over months so whenever a freelancer joins our network we ask them what hourly rate or monthly rate that they would like to charge and we don't take any commission off them we just add a commission on top of that and we charge companies we i think that's a smarter business model always charge the charge an organization don't charge an individual right so uh, that's what we do uh, and uh, basically so the difference between what the company pays us and what we have to pay the freelancer is our revenue model okay so you keep this company is coming to you back again how do you do that because like if that is done no if they hire freelancers and that is done that company mm-hmm. gets uh, that project done mm-hmm. so how do you keep those companies coming back to you again right so typically uh, so since this is not a very you know typically gig models are supposed to be the gig economy as they call it is supposed to be for very short term projects a short term thing so the average hiring the engagement time on our platform is pretty long it's 4 to 6 months and it's increasing every year that we go so it's around 4 to 6 months so it's already a very long term period so in this particular period a particular com- any company is not coming to us with a project they're coming with a particular talent requirement and as you can imagine most of these companies are in their growth stage so they are not just looking for one person to join their team they're looking for multiple people to join their team and that's the advantage that we have versus the permanent job market that in our particular space we can con- connect talent with companies within a week right and that's almost impossible to achieve in the permanent job market so uh, when companies want to scale fast and they have experienced the entire uh, journey of asking us for a talent and actually being able to hire them and then start working with them they really like our model and most of our growth in the last 12 to 18 months has actually been from repeat clients itself who okay. liked our model and they don't just stop at one but they hire not two not three maybe sometimes even 10 to 15 people from us so uh, for the entire duration that the company works with us they pay us commissions on a month to month basis so we keep earning from them as well so that's the entire method okay what challenges you have seen in this hiring like you have said that companies won't look for one candidate they will be looking for some multiple uh, candidates for their project and all so mm-hmm. what challenges you have seen in this and how did you handle it uh challenges from the company perspective or from the growth for from the company perspective uh i think companies in general i think are finding it tough to hire tech talent because that's the way it is i think almost every company has become a tech company today so the fight for quality talent has become really really tough right and uh the way it sort of manifests is that uh, the the pricing or the rates that developers or designers charge has been steadily increasing year on year on year so i think it has become really tough 
for very early stage companies to be able to hire the top quality talent so that's why i think if you know a lot what i try to suggest to uh, early stage founders is to see if they can leverage other kind of tools like no code tools and see if they can get their startup to a certain stage where they can afford high quality talent rather than thinking that they can hire lower quality talent and build an amazing product which i don't think is possible so i think that's the problem that early stage startups are facing in the latter part i think when companies are actually able to afford quality talent the fight of finding quality talent is such that getting them to join your team in a short period of time is becoming almost really really very tough as well so especially when you have come to the growth stage your biggest bottleneck at that point of time is your ability to bring the best talent to join your team right so at that point of time not being able to fulfill those requirements that you have within your team is a very big challenge so that is the phase that we typically cater to and that's the challenge that we are trying to help them solve which is find the best quality talent in as short a period of time as possible so that the companies can achieve their product or startup goals as quick as possible okay so you have been working with uh, co-founders and all no so um mm-hmm. what do you think are pros and cons of having co-founders i think it's a big debate uh, it's tough to uh, say one way or the other i think uh in general it's a very tough journey building a startup is a very tough journey and if possible i think you should have a co-founder i say that should because that's that's my personality that's what i would want because i think there are moments when you or the other person might feel low and it's always good to have the other person to be to see a ray of positivity to ray uh, see that that silver lining and how things are things are manifesting at that point of time and to be able to bring progress and rather than just you know shutting yourself in a shell so i think co-founders really help bring different perspectives help you get through those tough moments and also over a period of time being able to rely on one another to face different kinds of challenges is is something that i have found really really very useful with my two co-founders right and i think it's almost impossible that when you build a startup you won't face challenges and it's always good to have people you trust in that particular journey now having said that i do think that you can be successful as a solo founder as well uh and i think there is a big downside if you don't find the right co-founders for you right so i was lucky in my journey that i was able to find the right set of co-founders in the very beginning right so instead of having the wrong set of co-founders i would rather solo found a startup and build it myself so ensuring that the people who are a part of your journey are the right set for you is much more important than actually if that's not possible then just solo found your startup and grow it in that fashion okay what do you mean by wrong co-founders i think it's tough to define but you know when you experience it uh, but uh, wrong co-founders is basically people who don't have the same vision for the startup as you who don't and vision is not necessarily what the end goal of the startup is but the rate of growth or the manner of growth of it or how you deal with situations in terms of right or wrong is very different from their view of right or wrong because i think having different different perspectives on 
how to solve a problem is always good but on a moral standpoint i think you should have the have some kind of uh, some kind of compatibility uh, and some the similar kind of outlook in terms of how you want to be growing your startup and an outlook on where ultimately you want your startup to be so it's a lot of subjective things and uh, you don't need the personalities to be the same you would just need the personality to be compatible right uh, you don't want uh, it to be a dysfunctional relationship where uh, there is one person who dominates the conversation and there's another person who just listens all the time but at the same time the person who is listening over a period of time has a certain amount of pent up anger within him or her and at some point of time it just burst right so you want to ensure that everyone is equal in terms of being able to share their opinions and being able to build the startup and shape it in the way that they want it to okay so have you ever been in a situation where you thought like you need funding now no i i don't think so uh, you know I, I, as i said immediately after graduating we we were almost uh, out of money to invest into something really big and we 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 got down to real basics right we said let's just use google sheets and emails and all all these kinds of very basic tools to grow us ourselves so we were very fiscally uh, very uh, disciplined and sure that we weren't spending things in uh, spending money in things which were random we we actually did a lot of work ourselves we didn't hire randomly we only hired when we knew that we could pay that particular person for the next 12 months so we involved and did a lot of the groundwork and the foundation setting for each of the functions whether it was marketing or sales or tech screening or whatever it might be we did all of that ourselves so i think we were pretty self sufficient from the beginning and it's a generally it's a cash rich business and if you're able to grow uh, in this particular space which i think starting and building your business to what 50 60000 is not tough in this particular space i think growing it into a multi million dollar business is tough and now that we have come to that stage i think we we are making good amount of profits and i think from the very beginning as well we were making good profits so that we could sustain ourselves so no point of time was vc funding a need as such okay so what are the early stage mistakes that you have committed and because you were saying no you were uh, you started two startups and you failed what mistakes have you done there and what did you learn from there right i, I think so we didn't start two startups we made two products for our startup okay. itself which failed and as i just alluded to a little earlier i think the problem was that we were trying to build for the the very popular world called world called scale which is we were building for millions of users millions of dollars and what not uh when we had not even made a single dollar and the way we built the product was not what the customers or our users wanted freelancers wanted quality projects companies wanted quality talent they didn't care to visit our product and do hundreds of other things that we were telling them to do so i think one of the biggest mistakes is trying to optimize too early so we were trying to optimize for bottlenecks which we were predicting instead of the ones that we were experiencing right so uh that was one of the very big mistakes that we made right so uh that's why those two first uh, first two products failed so that so as a consequence what we realized is that we will we will only solve for bottlenecks and we'll start infusing tech 
rather technology only when we feel that technology can actually solve the bottlenecks we are experiencing right not mysterious or fictitious bottlenecks we think we will face two years from now that's not the goal at all so that was the first thing as in don't try to optimize too early i think not focusing on marketing enough in our early days was another one of our mistakes i think uh, our focus was too outbound we used to reach out as i said to people on linkedin and uh, just try to convince them to use us but i think as i said bootstrap startups especially should own their story and own their journey on social media we didn't do that i just and it's got to do with our personalities all three of us are very social media averse like we created our accounts on social media only last year so it, it took a certain amount of moving out of our traditional personality and trying to do things which we are uncomfortable doing but i think it is important for people to do it and uh, underestimating the very usual traditional channels of marketing like seo etc was another thing that we did so i think these are very common mistakes which uh, you know i see entrepreneurs making every day and we were no different we made the very same mistake so that's why i think every day when i talk on twitter or linkedin i'm just trying to share all the experiences and mistakes that we made just so that new entrepreneurs don't make the same great yeah okay so now that from your experience what steps would you recommend for someone who is trying to build a startup but are unaware of where to start from um i think there are a few things here i think anyone who wants to start should know where they should start from which is uh, they they've identified a problem that they want to solve and they they should know whether that problem is real so they should talk to people try to understand the very same people whom they are solving the problem for right and uh, try to see if those people will actually pay money for that particular problem or not see what competing services are there which already solve the problem in some manner or or the other and what is their differentiation going to be versus those people so these would be my very first steps to understand what problem i'm solving if that's a market in which i can get paid and who will be my initial users whom i can actually even reach out to once the once let's say my service or product is already ready so these would be my first initial steps and possibly build a very quick marketing website so that i can uh, show showcase to people what i'm trying to build so use any kind of no code builder to just write stuff quickly on that particular website and i think every time one person talks to users they should keep tweaking the content on that particular page to make it make it sell to users directly so refine the problem refine the way you define the problem and also uh refine the way you think about the solution to that problem as well so i think the initial 2 to 3 months it's always good to start doing something in terms of just talking to users getting that landing page ready maybe maybe writing regularly on social media around what you think the problem is about because people tend to reply to it when when they think the problem is relevant maybe start sharing some of your solutions to it direct people to your website where you have mentioned your solution to the problem see if you can collect email ids of people then see if you can contact those people and get feedback so this kind of feedback loop itself can start get you started on the initial journey of building a startup and from there i think in essence what i'm trying to say i guess is to get enough of feedback use content 
to share your solution as much as possible and then start building a product or service rather than doing it the other way around because i see when entrepreneurs start with a particular problem their first initial knee-jerk reaction is to start building a product around it i would rather start by interacting with users interacting with my potential customers starting to write on it starting to get people to understand give me feedback so that i can keep refining it and then start building a product some semblance of it once i feel i've understood the solu solution that i'm trying to provide to the problem i think these might be some of the initial things i would do thanks karthik so this seems to be like what i have to do in my next step sure i wish you the very best anjali thank you karthik i'll try to implement all those like because i was only doing this part i'm not sure about what to do next so yeah i'm learning from entrepreneurs like you so yeah now i got to know you as you said content marketing is one of the biggest thing what as, as many startup entrepreneurs will ignore mm-hmm. yeah i agree yeah it yeah so i thought like this is also where you can start with low investments and with a Hmm. maximum reach this is what uh, with the low investment who wants to start a startup can do understand so, yeah. i totally agree i totally agree so that's exactly what i'm suggesting as well once you zero down on your idea keep sharing it keep sharing your experiences around the idea keep sharing your thoughts perspectives whatever you're doing whatever you're building share it stage by stage build an audience around it build a community get people to care about what you're doing and then maybe you might actually build something that people care about right instead of building something and then hoping people care about what you built absolutely so yes kartik we are done with first round so we'll be going to the rapid fire and you must answer the first thing that comes to your mind and do my best okay? yeah so yeah. it's like a when i shoot a question you must answer within like a next moment if you are taking time <laughs> then i i assume that you are most probably thinking and saying it Okay, I'll do my best. I'm I'm not a very spontaneous person, but I'll do my best. Okay, here goes a rapid fire. Android or iOS? I use Android. iOS is uh, something that I've not used for phones. I just use a MacBook, but that's for a laptop because I think I use it a lot. Otherwise, it's pure Android. Okay, large team or small team? So we are a small team at this point of time. We're slowly building it. to become a larger team but yes i would prefer smaller teams i think you make uh, more genuine relationships uh, there is a more common shared interest and that interest runs deep within i think once uh, the organization grows big it becomes a little tougher to have that shared feeling of passion towards the problem you're solving and also to know everyone in a very genuine way okay coming out of rapid fire i wanted to ask you one question how do you align mm-hmm. your team with your goals with your organization goals <clears throat> it's tough i think uh, the one thing is you need to get it right at the very origin of it which is that you need to hire well you need to ensure that the software aspects of the people you are hiring really matches with the kind of team you are trying to build like for example very in the very beginning we realized that we didn't want uh, people who were jocks right who were not good good people like who were not good people to talk to or rude etc so i think ensuring that you f- find the right set of people who get along with one another who are kind to one another is, is very important second i think you need to regularly show passion yourself and lead by example 
right? So you can't just uh, talk and then not show it in action. So I think the leaders, and especially in the early days, because the leaders are the founders themselves, they need to walk the talk. So a lot of is so if you believe that everyone should get in, get to the bottom of everything, find problems and solve it, be really passionate passionate about it. Show showcase that by doing it yourself. So I think that's been a very important part of it. So that's something that we try to do. Another thing that we try to do is to align everyone's uh, goals in a manner that matches with Flexible's goals as well. So we don't have any investors on board. So all we have are our customers who pay us for doing good work. So we just motivate people also to do the best for, for our customers. And uh, we, I don't like too much of compensation driven outcomes, but uh, I'm trying to explore if that is something that we should be doing now that we are in the growth phase. But I think it's very, very easy to just lead by example and hire the right people in the beginning when you're a very small team, right? Because as, as you grow into a much bigger team, not everyone will see you leading by action. And that point of time, you'll have to build some more structures, which are a lot more objective. So it's more metrics driven and so on. But in the very early stage, it needs to be a more subjective kind of thing of getting the right kind of people with the right kind of attitude and then leading them with your own actions. So I think those two things will be the way that your company will grow till at least, let's say, 20 to 40 people. After that, maybe you might have to start putting more structures around metrics, maybe some kind of compensation driven goals, etc. Okay. Thanks, Karthik. Great information. So yeah, customization or standardization? So I am a very structured person as much as possible. So I like standard stuff, right? So I, whenever I see a problem, if, if we come up with a custom solution, what I would try to do after we have implemented is to see how we can sort of document it, standardize it so that people don't have to go through the same process that we have done to solve the same problem, let's say three months into the future. So at Flexible, we are very focused on documenting stuff to the team, building processes that serve us for not just a month, but for the next year or two. So I believe in standardization, but there has to be a certain amount of uh, flexibility for people to be able to bring in their own personality and their own innovation in it. So, but yes, I'm a structured person, so I would initially say standardization. Okay. So owning a car or renting it? Uh, typically, uh, I don't care about materialistic uh, stuff, so I don't mind renting. I don't need to own a car whatsoever, but I I have a, a dog who I treat as my own son. So uh, it was very tough taking him around in rented cars in Ubers, etc. because people weren't very happy about it, so I had to buy a car. Otherwise, I'm not very high on buying cars or any other kind of material possessions as such. Okay. Fame or money? Neither, actually. I think just built for passion. Uh, I don't need people to know me. I don't need too much of money in life. I think I just want enough of money so that I can take care of my loved ones and, uh, uh, and enough to be able to focus on doing things that I'm passionate about. You know, Formal education or self-thought? Uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, I think Self-thought is not encouraged enough in our, in our society, especially, 
I think in the Indian society, it's become very structured and there are very clear goals on what, very clear benchmarks on what is success and what isn't success. So I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, so I do think people need guidance in their early years because it's a tough world out there. So if someone can get the right guidance around them, so uh, which sort of keeps them within broad boundaries and ensures that they can keep guiding them. I think self-thought is something that's really very important. That's not to say that I don't like formal education. I think formal education has its place and especially for people uh, who want stability in their life, who, who want, uh, who are like, who have come from tough financial backgrounds, right? From, I think for them, formal education is important so that they can get out of that tough position and then can pursue their, you know, passions, passions in life. So it is easy for me to say original thought and self-thought and so on, but uh, when money is required on the table, I think formal education really helps. So once you come to a position where money is not a motivator anymore, I think self-thought is the only big, only thing that's going to drive you further. But you need to still get to a place where money is not a driver. Okay, very detailed explanation. <laughs> I've thought a lot about these topics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Profitability or scalability? Uh, see, I am a bootstrap guy. So I really believe that businesses should be profitable uh, because otherwise you're just building a fun hobby project. I don't think uh, startups need to become, all startups need to become billion dollar companies. I don't think that's true. So I don't think scalability is super important. Uh, it, your, the idea that you choose and how scalable you want it to be needs to just match your aspirations, right? So if you wanted to build a billion dollar company, but you didn't choose the right market uh, where, you know, maybe it's not scalable, then that's, that's a mistake. But at the same time, if you just wanted to build a startup so that it supports the kind of lifestyle you want, and build that startup, which gives you the profitability to draw the salary that can give you that lifestyle. So scalability is not important in that case. But yes, I think profitability above scalability, but it all depends on one's personality. My personality aligns with profitability. Okay. A morning person or night out? Absolutely a morning person. I like to wake up early. I, I find it very refreshing. I find uh, the my best energy in the morning. Exploring the world or networking with more people? I find it very tough to network with people. I am not a very uh, social person as such. Uh, exploring the world also not so much, but I like to connect more with nature than uh, roaming around with people. Okay. So yeah, done with rapid fire. Any final advice for the listeners? Not really. I think uh, largely I, uh, my life I was in two parts and I just shared it on Twitter also recently. I think it was the first part was trying to go through, as you said, formal education, right? Achieving all the benchmarks that society sets for you. Good engineering degree, a good job, a good MBA. I did all of that. So I think the second part of my life was when I realized that societal success isn't equal to happiness. So I would motivate people to chase happiness, uh, pursue it. I think uh, pursuit of happiness itself is the journey or that we are here for and not to chase societal success and be pressurized by 
peers who might be doing well off from a financial perspective or whatever so i think building for happiness is just amazing and uh, that's that's what i would advise people to do and that doesn't mean building a startup it could be doing whatever they have they want to but uh, it just needs to align with building for happiness today not a, not in a fictitious future because i think the very popular thing you hear people saying is i'm doing all the miserable things and all the sad things today so that i can be happy 5 years from now right and i don't think that that's a smart way to live life if anything covid has taught us is that we don't know what happens and uh, i think it's really important to stay in the moment do things that make you happy today and to be pa- passionate about whatever you do so uh, that's what i would say yeah okay agreed kartik yeah that's it for today's podcast uh, yeah we are done mm-hmm. with rapid fire also and all mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much mm-hmm. anjali it was a really pleasure talking to you thanks so much for patiently listening to all the things that i said it was a lot of fun thank you kadi it was my pleasure indeed i learned a lot from you cheers anjali cheers thank you so much well that's all for today's episode of our first story thanks for listening join me again next week where i bring you another entrepreneur guest and talk about the founder journey from scratch to running a successful business make sure you subscribe to the podcast on itunes amazon music spotify google podcast or wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an episode and if you don't have login to any of this platform then you can stop by our website at anafostory.com and explore the journeys of other entrepreneurs and their successful business thank you